This morning's scripture reading is from 2 John. It'll be on page 1025 in your Blue Pew Bibles. Again, this morning's scripture reading is from 2 John. Hear now the word of the Lord. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Some years ago, I was given a gift to spend a few nights in a timeshare. Oh, it was nice. I really enjoyed it. And before I knew it, the salesman talked me into buying one of those units. What appears to be a really good thing on the outside was not really all that good in the long run. I was deceived. And there were long-term consequences that I really did not want. You know, enemy is trying to trick us and also to deceive us. To trade something that we have that is precious to us for something that might be cheap. As we continue to our series on shortest book in the New Testament, we will be studying 2 John today. What was happening, there were some false teachers that have invaded that church there, and John warns the believers of them. You see, the enemy 
is the great disguiser. He masquerades as the truth. So let us take a look in uh, this uh, book, Second John. Before we really deal with these false teachers, John the author begins with commendation of knowing the truth. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 John. We'll be taking a look at verses 1 to 3. 2 John, beginning verse 1. I'll be reading from the NIV, and you could also follow to, with a sermon outlined in your bulletin. Verse 1, it says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. John here, the Apostle John, the author addresses this letter to the chosen lady and her children. Well, this question, who, who, who's this uh, chosen woman, uh, chosen lady and her children? There's two views as to who this, these recipients are. Some believe that this chosen lady is a godly mother. Yet some believe that she is referring to a local church, and her children are the believers in the church. While it is true that John is addressing a group of people, as we've seen later on in verses 6, 8, and 10, However, we see John's also addressing an individual in verses 1, verse 4, 5, and 13. I believe one way of interpreting this is that there is a group of believers that assemble together as a church in meeting in a home of this chosen lady. So we see that John has both the family, as well as the congregation in mind. There are a couple of uh, key themes in this first section. We know that the word love as well as truth is repeated a number of times. Actually, love and truth goes hand in hand. The word truth occurs four times in the first three verses. Whenever we see a word is repeated by an author a number of times, the author is trying to tell us that there is, this is very important. There's emphasis here. He's trying to make a point. The Apostle John expressed his love for the chosen lady and her children. He's not the only one that has this special relationship. But this is also true to all who knows the truth. There's a special community among believers. And John here is giving commendation 
for those who know the truth. The truth is the basis for their love for one another. What is this truth that John is referring to? We see Jesus claiming that he is the truth in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus also says that the word of God is truth, and it's recorded in John 17, 17. So we are to love one another as Jesus loved us. And as the Word of God instructed us, just as Jesus loved us, we're also to love others in the same way. The Bible says in 1 John 4.11, says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The truth here is ultimately the, the truth about the gospel. And because of the gospel, we're set free from our selfish desires. We can demonstrate this agape love that John is saying that he has with, with uh, this chosen lady and the children. This agape love speaks of a sacrificial love. For those that know the truth, we have a special relationship with one another because we're children of God. We know and accept the truth. And as we experience a relationship with God, we can demonstrate love to others, particularly those that are in the family of God. Know the truth. Really, it's a key to combating false teachers. We need to know the gospel so well that uh, we will not be deceived by false teachers. When I was in college, I worked at a fast food restaurant. Actually, I worked in a fast food restaurant for four years. I can't believe that. During my final two years, I became one of the managers of the store. One of my responsibilities as a manager was to check bills. Any bills that were $20 or more, they go, check bill. And I need to go and examine the bill to make sure it is not counterfeit. See, I had to be trained to see what is a genuine bill and a false one. See, there are certain elements that's in a real bill only. So how I get trained is I get a real bill, and, and we examine it. You, say, you see this? You see that? See this? And, and we examine it, and we get so familiar with the genuine bill that when a false one comes, we could detect, well, that's not it. Because I know what a real bill looks like. In the same way... It is critical that we need to know the truth so that when false teaching comes along, we can detect it. And we say, well, that's not true. That's not authentic. That is not the truth. 
Love and truth go hand in hand. Based on God's truth, John comes to love the church. See, Christian love is motivated by a knowledge of the truth, which has been revealed in Christ. Truth is the basis of love. When we understand the truth that God loves us, then we are motivated to love others. The more we understand and experience God's truth, the more we are motivated to demonstrate love. Well, how does the church come to know this truth and to become children of God? And as we look at verse 3, it says that it is through the grace and mercy of God. God is the source of grace and mercy. We're not only saved by His love, but we're really saved by God's grace. We see here, John starts off this epistle by commending them of knowing the truth. John doesn't stop there. He goes on in the second section to challenge them to walk in the truth. You follow with me as I read verses 4 to 6. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had. From the beginning, I ask that we love one another, and this love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, this command is that you walk in love. John was filled with joy knowing that some, some of the believers there were walking in the truth as God commanded them to. Well, what does it mean to walk in the truth? This whole aspect of walking gives us the connotation of living, living out the truth. It's more than just knowing the truth, but going another level of abiding in the truth, which involves our volitions. The issue of many people is that we know a lot of things, but we might not put it in practice as regularly. When we walk in the truth, we transfer our knowledge into application. It's not until we live out the truth that we really experience abundant life. I met someone recently who asked Ask me, why is there so many bad things that are happening to me? I come to church. I go to Sunday school. I even go to a small group. I told this person that um, he might know the truth, but he might not be walking in the truth. We see in this passage that one of the truths that's recorded in the Old Testament as well as Christ, they, they have taught us to love one another. 
It's not a new commandment, it says, but an old one. However, few truly practice it because we are selfish individuals and we always tend to place ourselves above others. God teaches us that we should put others above ourselves as we walk in love. It is the love that reaches out to people. Even those that might not deserve it. You know, it's easy to love people that loved you. <laughs> it's uh, very difficult to love those that might not uh, love us or deserve our love. Jesus uh, loves uh, everyone, no matter who they are. In the same way, we are to also love them as well. This is a supernatural love. And when we demonstrate this, others will also recognize that it is not coming from us, but it comes from God. We see in the last sentence in verse 5, it says, John asked them to love one another. Actually, this, the, the original word uh, for ask is actually a much stronger understanding than just ask. It gives the understanding of urging, begging, entreating them to love one another. It has the idea of urgency to love one another. Love is not an option, actually. We as believers in Christ, we're, we're to love one another. The Bible says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. How will other people recognize that we are a follower of Christ? That Christ lives in us, that, that the truth abides in us. It's when we display love for others, that love is based upon the truth that we believe. It is when we are able to love those that might have mistreated us, that, be, that, that it becomes an evidence of God living in us. Several months ago, um, I received uh, some harsh criticism from someone. My natural reaction was, was to lash back. But God reminded me that you loved me, even in my rebellious state. Just as Jesus loved me, I need to demonstrate that same love, that agape love to others, even those that might have mistreated me. Are there people that might have mistreated you? Instead of seeking revenge, may we demonstrate love that can only come from our Lord. And when that takes place, others will recognize that it is an act of God. Surely we cannot do it by ourselves. It will give much glory to God. What does it mean to walk in love? As we move on in verse 6, John explains that walk in love is the same as walk in obedience. The only way to show that we 
love God is by doing what pleases Him. Christ has uh, made it very clear. He says in First John chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, let me just read that to you. He says, we know that we have come to know Him if we obey His command. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. It says very clearly that if we claim that we really know him, then we will obey him. Also in John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So if we, if we truly love God, we would obey His command. If we love someone that is significant, it would be natural for us to want to obey what that person states. If your significant others say that she loves seafood, you would probably naturally want to take her to a seafood restaurant. See, your obedience is a demonstration of your love for her. This is also true when we talk about our relationship with God. The bottom line to show our love is, to dem is demonstrated by our obedience to God. Someone has said, you know, words are cheap. You need to show it through our action. And we say we love God. Do we show it? There is one clear way of showing our love for God, and that is by obedience. You know, as we start a new year, it's um, a new beginning, a new fresh start, a new chapter in our life. Um, many of us probably look back in 2018 and look forward and say, well, what can I do differently? There might be various things that we know that we should be doing, but we haven't been doing in the past. And we know that there might be certain things that would please God, but we might not be doing. Well, I want uh, to uh, challenge you today that uh, we not only walk in truth, but also we walk in obedience to God. May we show our love for Christ by obeying God. I uh, like you to identify two things that you do differently this new year for the Lord. I'll, I'll share two of mine. Um, you know, I for a long time I to uh, wrestle with these two areas. I know that I should be doing Matthew. All believers know they should be doing, but uh, very few actually do it in a consistent manner. 
I've been working on it. God's helped me uh, during the past few years. And I want to continue to make progress in these two areas, in being obedient to the Lord. And what are these two things? Well, one is prayer. And secondly is witnessing. You know, if I really love God, I would consult with God more. I would pray to God more. And too often, to, uh, I find myself uh, running ahead of God and doing things. I'm kind of a workaholic and getting things done. And God said, well, slow down. Let me in the game and let me do more work for you. Um, learning to do that more. And secondly, to witnessing Building relationship, being intentional in building relationship with, uh, with, with non-Christians, people that God brings into my life, that I be intentional in thinking of ways how to connect with them and looking for opportunities, how I might talk about spiritual truth with them. I'd like to challenge you as we start this new year. What are two things that you know that you could do better for the Lord to demonstrate your love for Him in obedience. This is a new year, a new start. May we walk in love by walking in obedience. So in the first section, we have covered the combination of knowing the truth. In the second section, the challenge of walking in the truth. Now, John is setting up the scene for the real issue at hand. There are false teachers coming into the church. And John, in this third and final section, cautions them not to a false teachers, but to protect the truth. Let us read verse 7 and see who who are these uh, enemies that we need to pay attention? Verse 7 says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the anti-Christ. You see, up to this point, there's a lot of positive things that's being written. It is when things are going well that we are vulnerable. We need to be extra cautious. We need to be aware. And John warns the believers here that there, there's deceivers out there. They're the ones that say one thing but mean another. Twist things around. Is their desire to trick us to, to put aside our belief and come into their camp? What do we know about these deceiver? It says that uh, they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. They would call anti-Christ, or they are against Christ. See, the incarnation of Christ is such a vital truth to our belief. Well, you might say, well, why, why is it so important for Christ? to come in the flesh as a man. 
You see, in the Old Testament, when someone loses their land, they become broke financially. He needs a kinsman redeemer to save him from this terrible situation. And in order for this to take place, there needs to be a kinsman redeemer. There are certain qualifications, three of them, in fact, to be a kinsman redeemer. First, you need to be a kinsman. You need to be a blood relative to this person. Secondly, you need to be able to redeem the relative. You need to have the resources to redeem this person. And thirdly, you, one might be a kinsman, one might be able to redeem, but thirdly, they need to be willing. <laughs> you, know, you might have resources, you might be a kinsman, so I don't want to do it. So, we see Christ fulfill all three of these requirements. See, Jesus became flesh to identify with us so that he becomes a kinsman. He become one of us so that he can be a kinsman redeemer. He is able to save us because he is God. And not only that, but he is willing. He knew before he came that he was going to suffer the most excruciating way to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf so that we can be set free from the bondage of sin. He knew that, and he was willing to do so. He came in flesh to identify with us to be a kinsman, be a kinsman redeemer. And all that we need to do to receive newness of life is to place our faith in Jesus Christ. And we will be saved. Jesus has paid the price and has offered eternal life to us as a gift. If we know someone that denies the incarnation of Christ, we need to not aid in these false teachers. See, back in those days, traveling preachers rely on local believers for support and hospitality. It was common to welcome guests into one's home. However, if we find that there are preachers that deny Christ as coming from the flesh. John, John commands us that we're not to help them. Let us take a look in verses 10 and 11. It says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone... Who welcomes him shares in this wicked work. See, if we help them, then we are sharing in their wicked work. And I'm sure uh, at times we have Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons that come to our door. Uh, they desire to propagate their false teaching. 
And may we not not welcome them. Um, May we protect and hold on to the truth. May we not be deceived by false teaching. We see the warnings here in this section that include looking out for Satan because he's the one that's behind all these deceivers. We also see in this section that we're also warned to also look out for ourselves so that we don't forfeit our rewards. Let's take a look in verse 8. It says, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. John has stated in the beginning of this epistle of commending the believers of knowing the truth. Then he goes on to talk about challenging them to walk in the truth. See, the faithfulness in the truth has gained them rewards. It can be flushed down the drains if we yield to these false teachers. Don't be deceived. The false teachers offer something that you do not have when in reality they are trying to take away what you already have. What they teach is not what they really promise. They overpromise and underdeliver. Therefore, it is critical for us to know and walk in the truth. The more we embrace God's truth, the more we can recognize the false teaching. It is time, it takes time to gain rewards and we can lose it quickly. What a tragedy it would be when God's servant labor faithfully to build up a church and then the work is destroyed by false teaching. John warns us not to forfeit our reward. In addition, he also warns us not to forfeit our Redeemer. Let's take a look in verse 9. It says, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue to, to the, in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. See, the false teachers make us believe that they are progressive, they have something new and exciting t- to share. Unfortunately, they abandon the doctrine that Jesus came in the flesh. If a person does not abide in true doctrine, then he does not have neither the Father or the Son. We're told not to forsake our Redeemer. We're warned about these deceivers, that they will trick us. As we are forewarned, we'll be more aware of our enemy. And Lord willing, we'll not be surprised when they come upon us to pull a scam on us. May we hold on to the truth and not forsake our Redeemer. In the final two verses, uh, 12 and 13, in this epistle, John 
states that he's looking forward in visiting these believers and to personally spend one-on-one time with them. There's a special relationship that John has with them. And in conclusion, as we look at this passage, we see that the enemy is trying to deceive us to exchange truth for lies. May we not be deceived. May we not be tricked. But instead, may we seek to know the truth, walk in the truth, protect the truth, hold on to the gospel, and abide in the truth. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for truth that you have given to us. May we seek to understand your truth, to walk in your truth, and protect your truth, Lord. Father, we know that you have given us the gospel, and as our truth, then may we be motivated to love one another as you have loved us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.